So what we are going to do now is we're going to move on to dysrhythmias. How many of you have ever been whitewater rafting? All right, what is the first thing they teach you how to do when you get in the boat? To paddle. And how do they teach you to paddle? How do they teach you to paddle? Just just as hard as you can. Just go, go, go. Is that how? How do you have to paddle? Together. If you don't paddle together, you don't go anywhere. If you don't go anywhere, you're getting dumped over. So it's the same thing with the heart. The heart has to pump together. Now, who's in charge of directing the paddling? The guide. Now, if you don't listen to the guide, what happens? <laughs> You're going over. Same thing with the heart. The heart has a guide, and that guide's job is to get the whole heart pumping coordinated fashion. So what is the guide's name in the heart? The SA node. And then there's a little network that it has to travel through, and what's that network called? We start with the SA node, then we go to AV node, then we go bundle of hist, then... For Kinji fibers, and there's one last stop on the journey. What is that? The muscle cells themselves. Oh, I know. Never forget the muscle cells. Now, um, anytime you have a dysrhythmia where it's not pumping in a coordinated fashion, you will have a reduction in cardiac output. Repeat that after me. Anytime you have a dysrhythmia, you're going to have lower cardiac output. If you can remember that one principle, you're going to have a lot easier time in knowing what these patients will look like afterwards. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of technicalities in how you treat individual ones and how you recognize them, but every single dysrhythmia will end with lowered cardiac output. The question is how much? So if it's just a little bit, that might make the person tired. And in fact, a lot of people who have dysrhythmias come into us with fatigue and shortness of breath. If it's a little bit worse, it can cause heart failure. And if it's really bad, it can cause, before we get to death, unconsciousness. And then beyond that, death. So it's all dependent on how much how much the cardiac output has been lowered and how quickly it's been lowered. Now, there's a couple other things we need to talk about really quickly. Just because the SA node is doing its job and calling out the correct beat, beat, relax, beat, relax, beat, relax, beat, relax, doesn't necessarily mean the heart is doing what it's saying. So this is what we call PEA, pulseless electrical activity. So the ECG could look completely normal, or maybe just a little weird, but you look at the patient and they have no pulse, which means that they are dead. So that brings us to rule number one of dysrhythmias. We treat patients, not the, not the monitor. Always, always, always check the patient. You can't assume that just because they've got an ECG, they have a pulse. And you can't assume that just because they've got a really funky PECG that they're dead. 
So always, always, always check the patient. So what was rule number one of ECGs or of dysrhythmias? Always leads to decreased cardiac output. Rule number two. Treat the patient, not the monitor. And then we have this one right here. It's not really a dysrhythmia. It's called asystole. And what's the, what's the vernacular for asystole? Flatline, because that's what it looks like. So, and yes, on ER, it will go beep. By the way, I saw an episode of House the other day. What a disgusting, awful show. That sh it's like, it was just, I mean, I've seen much better soap operas. That's all I have to say about it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Now, here are our parts of an ECG wave. We already talked about these yesterday. This is called the P wave. This little guy is the Q, the R, the S, and the T wave. Now, let's talk about some segments. From the beginning of the P to the Q is called PR. So this is the PR interval. The segment from the beginning of S, or the S to the beginning of the T is called the ST segment. Now, when you start looking at ECGs, I'm going to say this now, and then you can listen to this next semester right before you do your, your med surge 2 dysrhythmias, and you'll hear me say, when you start analyzing ECGs, you have to pay attention to each part of it before you look at the overall picture. So there's a, there's a process you go through, and I'll teach you that process. We're not actually going to do it. Unless you really want to, I'll provide some strips and you can practice, but we're not doing it on my test. So the first thing you do is you look at the P wave. The next thing you do is you look at the QRS complex. So every QRS should have a P wave, and every P wave should have a QRS. You also want to look at the overall heart rate, and the heart rate is going to be determined by the QRS segments. You also want to determine whether those, that heart rate is regular or irregular. What would regular be? If there's the same distance between each QRS complex. If there's a different distance, that's called irregular. We're going to look at the T wave to see what it looks like. We're going to measure the PR interval, how long it takes. We're going, well, you're probably going to skip this step, the QT interval, and then evaluate the ST segment. Now, as a tele-nurse, what you're really going to concern yourself the most with is heart rate, regularity, the P waves, the, the relationship between the P wave and the QRS, and then the PR segment the PR interval. And this other stuff, you don't need to worry about as much. Heart rate, regularity, the relationship between the P's and the QRS's, and the PR segment. So basically four things that you'll need to look at. No, not the Q you're not going to have to look at the QT interval. Alright, dysrhythmias. How do we get them? Well, 
Number one is electrolyte imbalances. What's the number one electrolyte that should come to your mind? Potassium. What's the number two? Calcium. What's the number three? Magnesium. So, what's number one? What's number two? What's number three? And what's the number four? Just because we... Sodium. But potassium is most important. Always, always, always remember that. How do we stop the heart if we do open heart surgery? We pour potassium solution over the heart. And that will stop it. The next one is medications. Medications can cause dysrhythmias. Every drug that we use to treat dysrhythmias, guess what it can do? It can cause dysrhythmias as well. In fact, there's, you have to remember less drug classes than I had to because we don't use a lot of them anymore because we decided that, oh, um, we were killing people by accident because we were causing more problems than we were helping. Medications can cause dysrhythmias. The next one, and this is what you're going to see a lot in the hospital, is hypoxia. And what type of hypoxia are we talking about here? Hypoxia of what organ? The heart. What did we just spend a whole day and a half talking about? Myocardial ischemia. Patients who have had myocardial infarctions. What's the number one death if you survive the initial MI? Within the next two or three days? Dysrhythmia. If a patient has angina, whether it's stable or unstable, they're probably going to have some kind of dysrhythmia. Elevated preload. What, what's another word for elevated preload? Well, elevated preload is present in heart failure a lot. What causes increase? Say again. High blood volume. What are the three causes of fluid overload? Three causes of heart heart failure, kidney failure, liver failure. In those diseases, you're gonna see. You're going to see elevated preload. You're going to see dysrhythmias. As you get older, the heart just gets funky. It starts doing its own thing. Now, manifestations of these dysrhythmias. Electrocardiogram changes will not be normal. And lowered cardiac output. All right, now, there are two different kinds of dysrhythmias. One talks about where the impulse generates from. What's the normal place to generate a cardiac impulse? The SA node. If it happens anywhere else, we call that, well, we call it somewhere else. It's called an irritable focus. So if it happens somewhere else, that's an impulse formation problem. The other problem is you have a normal formation, but it doesn't get through that system. It doesn't go to the AV node and the Purkinje fibers, and it doesn't get through that system in the right way. And those are called blocks. So the AV blocks and bundle branch blocks. Um, you don't need to know about bundle branch blocks at all. What we do need to know about are the AV blocks. So we'll talk about these, and we'll talk about these. So what are the two different types of dysrhythmias? Okay, the impulse happens somewhere other than the SA node, and the other is the blocks where it doesn't, it starts normally, but it doesn't progress normally. Those are our two types. If you can remember that, 
It'll make it easier for you to understand other things later. Now, the first, arith the first arrhythmias are not really arrhythmias at all. They're just different from normal heartbeat. They're called sinus arrhythmias. So if heart rate is less than 60, we call it a sinus bradycardia. If it's more than 100, we call it a sinus tachycardia. They're not really dysrhythmias at all. Then we have what we call ectopy. An ectopy is an early contraction. Early contractions can be generated in two places. What do you think they are? The atria or the ventricles. All right. Um, do I have pictures of these? No, I'm supposed to draw them. Okay. Wouldn't it be nice if... So if I have to draw, that means you have to draw too. So, and the whole reason you're supposed to draw them is because that will help you to remember them. Because even if your head doesn't, maybe your hand will. All right, so draw a normal heart, a normal EKG. Got it? Got a P wave, a QRS, and a T. It doesn't have to look pretty. Mine doesn't look pretty. All right, now, what would be the next thing that would happen? Another one. So go ahead and do another one. Now, a premature atrial contraction, or what's called a PAC, well, oh, and by the way, the C used to stand for contraction, now it stands for complex, um, because there's no guarantee that the heart actually contracted, it's just the electrical signal, but that's a technicality. PAC, premature atrial complex, or premature atrial contraction, is going to look exactly like a normal one, except it's going to happen earlier. So whatever distance is here between the normal beats, between the PAC, it's shorter. Sometimes it's almost right on top of it. Now afterwards, there's usually a bit of a pause because the, the SA node doesn't know that that other beat happened. So it's kind of like, what, huh, huh, what? Oh, let me go back to normal. So here's our PAC, and the two things that are going to determine the PAC. One is the short distance between the T wave and the P wave. Short distance between the two um, contractions. And the second thing is there's usually a little bit of a pause, a longer segment between the next one, between the next P wave. Got it? So what are the two things that you're going to see a, P, a PAC from? Okay. okay, so it's short distance between the last one and the next one. And then the one after the PAC is usually a longer pause. The next one that we're going to take a look at is called a premature ventricular complex or premature ventricular contraction. And that's going to look, here's our normal one. And then we're going to get this kind of a tearing look. And yeah. 
And it's usually going to be wider, and you're going to have a big up and a big down, or a big up and a big down, or a big down and a big up. So it's going to be kind of this really funky looking wave. There will only typically be one of them, and it's going to be wider, and can just going to be look, it's just going to look weird. What's it called? No, you won't have a you won't have a P wave at all. And then you'll just have a normal beat after it. Premature ventricular complex. And then you'll have a normal one after it. Now what happens if you get two PVCs in a row? What's that called? What's it called when you have two lines of, of a poem that rhyme with each other? It's a couplet. So if you have two PVCs together in a row, that's called a couplet. If you have three in a row, that's called a triplet. If you have four in a row, no, it's called a run of ventricular tachycardia, which we'll talk about later. Now, if you have every other beat is a PVC, we call that bigeminy. So if you have normal beat PVC, normal beat PVC, that's called bigeminy. Um, bigeminy sound spelled just like it sounds. Say again. Every other beat is a PVC. So normal PVC, normal PVC, normal PVC. And if you get, say again. I would say every other beat if I described it. Tachycardia or VTAC. Um, if you have every third beat is a PVC, that's called trigeminy. You want to spell that one too? You guys are no fun. All right. Um, what I might do, I suppose it would probably be a good idea, is to get some little strips that are representative samples, have you memorize those, and maybe just show them to you on a test. I won't give you other ones. I'll give you the exact ones that I gave you. But next semester, you're not necessarily going to get the exact same strip that you used to learn with. Yes, ma'am? Oh, I wasn't asking. Okay. All right. All right. Next we have the atrial rhythms. Now, atrial rhythms are always fast, never slow. The first one is called atrial tachycardia. In an atrial tachycardia, basically you've got your rhythms, or your uh, beats are so close together that they kind of just run into one another. So it's kind of like that's kind of what it looks like. So as soon as as soon as you get off this QRS, you're already back. You're already coming into the next beat. So this is going to be stacked right on top of one another. Now I know what you're thinking. Well, if your heart's beating that fast, why does that cause a decrease in cardiac output? Because don't we? 
Okay, so what's happening is it's squeezing, is contracting so quickly, it's not getting a chance to fill up with blood. So even though the heart rate side of our cardiac output equation is high, the preload side is low. And that's called atrial tachycardia. The next one is called atrial flutter. Now with atrial flutter, what you're going to have is you're just going to have what they call a sawtooth pattern between QRS intervals. So you've got a QRS and you've got a QRS and in between it you have this little sawtooth pattern. And that's that P wave going Now everyone hold up a hand. Now show me a normal heartbeat. Now show me flutter. It's just fluttering. It's, going to, it's, it's shutting and opening so fast that it doesn't get a chance to fill up with blood. So what part of the cardiac cycle are you losing with atrial flutter? <laughs> the side kick, yes. You're losing atrial kick. Now, be, that was a really nice kick, wasn't it, though? That one wasn't as good. No. That's all right. Still good enough to get your, uh, your mugging self off me. If you're, if you're trying to mug me, I, I can... All right. All right. So that's called atrial flutter. And what do you lose? Atrial kick. Now, because it's fluttering like this, blood is not going to stay in there. So there's no risk of blood pooling. So if there's no risk of blood pooling, there's no risk of clotting. That's an important thing to remember. The next one is called atrial fibrillation. Now this one you're going to know from two ways. All right. So there's a couple things here. The first one is that how many P waves do you see? No P waves at all. What you see in between, the, in between the beats is kind of like this wiggle. So show me the heart contracting. Atrial fibrillation. Now show me the flutter. Now here's fibrillation. Just kind of quivers back and forth, but it doesn't ever contract. So if it doesn't contract, what happens to the blood inside it? It pulls. So not only are we going to lose atrial kick, but we are also going to get blood clots. So there's two issues with that. This is called atrial fibrillation, or AFib for short. And it's a fluttering of the atria, just like that. Now, in atrial flutter, you've got like four or five P waves. In atrial fibrillation, there's no P waves. The other thing is, what do you notice about the distance between? What do you notice about the distance between the QRSs? What do you notice about the difference between the QRSs? It's irregular. Now, there's two ways the heart rate can be irregular. One is it can be irregular but still have rhythm. So, for example, the distance could be here and then a little longer, and then a little longer, and then it go back to... 
So you have like short, medium, long, short, medium, long, short, medium, long. So even though it's irregular, there's still a pattern to it. That is not how AFib is. AFib is completely irregular, no pattern whatsoever. Sometimes that's called irregularly irregular. <laughs> I didn't make that term up. I would have called it arrhythmic irregularity. I don't know. So, so irregularly irregular. The, the two things that you're going to recognize AFib by, what are they? No P waves. And QRSs are going to be irregularly irregular. Yeah. Do all what? Do all have yes, all flutters have patterns. Now, what's the term that describes a flutter? Atrial flutter, what is it? What's the term? Sawtooth. What, is, what do we describe um, atrial fibrillation? Irregularly irregular, no P waves. Now, in the patient, that, that was the ECG, in the patient with atrial fibrillation, what are they going to have? Okay, so blood clots and loss of atrial kick, which is going to, how much of, of end diastolic volume does atrial kick provide? Close, 25 to 30%. So 25 to 30% of preload comes from the atrial kick. If you lose that, you're going to lose about 25 to 30% of cardiac output. So what is our patient going to have? If you've lost 25 to 30% of your heart, of your cardiac output, what are you going to have? What are your symptoms going to be? Fatigue, possibly shortness of breath, and it might actually put them into heart failure. So again, a lot of patients don't know that they have AFib. They just come into the doctor's office because they feel tired and run down. Doctor hears an irregular heartbeat, does an ECG, and discovers, oh, you've got atrial fibrillation. Got it? Now. The last little thing about, about atrial fibrillation is that the heart rate is often high. So if we can't get the person out of AFib, we're going to typically put them on a drug that lowers heart rate. We'll talk about treatment a little bit later.